0: Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Okay, hi everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. And today we have with us Anne Boyd, who's CMO at Stoplight, an avid yogi, I wish I was one too, and a former marketing professor, which we'll dive into. So thank you for joining us today, Ann. Thanks for having me, Jane. I'm really excited to be here. I'm happy to have you here. I'm excited. We were already kind of geeking out over a couple things before we turned the mics on, and I'd love to dive into one that we were just just chatting about where you are CMO, this is, and there's a lot of titles out there, and there's a new one. So we've heard Chief Growth Officer, Chief Revenue Officer, of course, Chief Marketing Officer, but you mentioned a new one that I think you just heard today.
1: Yeah, that's true. I just learned about Chief Market Officer. So, and the proponent of this name explained how we, you know, in bringing marketing and really the go-to-market motion into the priority of the company strategically, thinking about how it's not a verb, it is, it is a noun. It is, it is an endeavor that gave it more heft, I guess, in dropping yeah. the ing. And so she really felt strongly about it, and it it gave me a yeah. lot to think about because I do think that, especially as things are evolving digital distribution, global, you know, business as the norm, there's so many reasons why what we do is absolutely instrumental and center to the business. And I think it's great to think of ways to properly acknowledge that whether or not it's the title name change or not. It's true. And
0: what are your thoughts you mentioned when you first heard chief growth officer? That you loved that term because it just—it's like yes, that's what we're focused on growth. There's so much be, you know, beyond the initial branding that people, I guess, associate with marketing. And yeah. so curious what you feel about. Or, I know I am struggling, but it's also because at first I'm averse to change, and then I love it a minute later. But chief go-to-market officer has been talked about a lot, at least in the Rev Genius community. It's coming up a lot, right? I, I think the, my, the struggle that I'm having with it is that it just doesn't flow. It's too wordy. And that being in marketing, it's hard for us to have I something pretty- that doesn't really make sense, right? Like linguistically, it just doesn't work. But curious, your thoughts on on that term.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think I do get caught up in that as well. Like what's easier to say. I do yeah. remember the first time I heard about growth and a whole marketing department being renamed growth. And I thought, wow, that is really compelling because, and it had to be like seven years ago or more, and because it started to tell a story about what is happening, what the priority of the, of the group was, and I think a different view of what I think has historically gotten associated with, like, the production of materials and pretty things to the idea that yeah. is really the heart of it is growing the business, right? Why else would we do what we do? We are there just to, to grow the business. My only hesitation now is that I think it's gotten over-associated with demand gen and analytics and that that's the predominant motion. And so my, yeah. you know, one of my big passions right now is to talk about how brand and demand work together. And that yes. growth comes from the beauty of the yin and the yang, like it's not going to be one or the other that's going to make your business be successful and grow.
0: That's so true because it's almost, even when I was just mentioning this to you, right, chief growth officer, it's, or no, sorry, was it, chi- yeah, that you liked the chief growth officer title because it kind of got away from what people thought marketing was, which was more branding or making things pretty. But it's funny because it's almost like we overcompensated (laughs) and went into this extreme other end that's all focused on revenue and tracking and attribution right into a T. And we're now finding this or need to find the balance between, I guess, brand and demand. Yeah, go into this more. Tell us your... Great and how you
1: achieve this. <laughs> I don't know why this is like a passion of mine from going way back. I studied the anthropology and there was always this trend. Mm. I, you know, I'm not a great student of history, but of culture. And anywhere you look, you can see examples of people. It's just human nature, I guess, to go from one extreme to another and then kind of correct. And there's this constant yeah. swing. It's like a pendulum, like you said, or or just this natural motion of a wave that that people go through and i think we absolutely overcorrected, and i think we're getting through that now and there's some leaders in the space that for a few years now have been talking about how it's brand and demand and i will mention linkedin as one of the sort of first major outlets that i feel like be a proponent of that with their customers which i felt like was really great because they you know there's a place where people are are bringing their dollars and telling their story and so, yeah, I think that it's so essential that, that people think about what is it that not only ha- measuring the impact of your work, but what's the strategy behind it? And I've kind mm-hmm. of, I think in my mind, brand was the overall value prop, right? Like or the the big vision for the yeah. the company. So to me, it's not limited to this idea of a logo or, you know, so or a yeah. brand mark. I feel like it's important to think about the context of the business and the measures of the actions and the connected tissue to the rest of the business, because that's really what's so exciting about now is that whole how we can work together so closely And we started to get into another thing, which is really exciting, like the revenue world, right? Chief revenue officer and then revenue operations and being able as a marketer to tie in with people that are monitoring that part of the business so closely. And yes, demand gen and like some of the strategies and tactics from that world are essential to get to that effect. But then the brand strategy, you know, needs to start the process, ideally, or at least be an a major component of how you're thinking about success.
0: I completely agree. And you can see sometimes it's clear and obvious, right? The story of brand and demand working together. I'm trying to think of examples like companies where like mutiny, right? I've seen mutiny take over the world the past couple of years. I see them everywhere, Chili Chili Piper, right? another one. you just see you know that their brand presence has been invested in and it's working because, they're just flourishing and growing. So I'm curious, and when I say brand presence, I don't mean to downplay all that goes into brand. There's so much that goes into that, but how can you, when you're not these big stories, right? How can you track and put value and measure to some degree the impact that your investment in brand is having?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I honestly, Showing up at Stoplay, which was you know, and still is a a small, relatively small API tool for API design. So we we target developers and help them with the process of of developing APIs, which are proliferating for business and all of digital transformation. Right, everybody's got to connect to something else. But in terms of the notoriety of the product and the the name, particularly, yes. there was virtually zero. I came in at like point zero one percent or something share a voice which yeah. we look at and that's one of the main like sort of initial tools that I look or, or measures that I look at which is how sort of in aggregate and there's different tools that you can use to get it but how is your yeah. voice and your brand name coming through in the media at writ large which includes often both now earned and social so you have a sense of what's your penetration in people's minds you know if you could you know Mm -hmm. sort of get a glimpse at that obviously it's not perfect but it gives you a good sense and especially relative to key competitors and so typically i like to look right away you know and you know it's a blunt force right all these aggregated mentions and articles and social media and often like pickups of of other you know syndication or whatever so I look at that and you start to see, do you have any notice? Now, beyond that, you've also got to look at, like for your key audience, how are you perceived, right? And and the brand, is the does the brand mean anything with the audience that you do have? So even if you don't register on the Share Voice, for example, at Stoplight, I was then gonna dig into, what does the support group get in terms of comments and questions? What's the, What are the themes there? What are the other things I can do to assess? Because even, you know, not having an NPS, a lot of companies are tiny, haven't been able to implement that. They might be too small to, right? You can't get to a yeah. a statistical significant number, but you can get a sense and at least pull together that information and, and just determine how you're resonating. And I also went through, actually, a, I forget what they call them, a SaaS day, I think Gartner at one point, where, you know, I really appreciated the depth of conversation that included how are stakeholders talking about the company? How do the executives talk to each other about the company? How do employees talk to each other? Does the idea of who we are mean something and does it mean what we want it to mean? So it sounds kind of nebulous, but you can get a lot of like objective data in terms of volume and sentiment, and sentiment's always a little tricky, but at least have something to work with that compares you to others. I love that. Did you I have so many
0: questions? I'm yeah. like jotting down as you as you chat. How long did it take you to drive that? I think you said like 001 percent share of voice, for example, at Stoplight when you first joined like to get that up. When did you start seeing some traction to, to bumping up that? You figure? know,
1: I mean, it's one of the things that I love about just marketing in general, but also I came from a communications background. You can see improvement really quickly when you start to just engage your audience. Right. Like there's a certain amount of just volume of content that to deliver. And I will also caveat that there's over overdoing it for sure. But when you're coming from like almost nothing, just developing some great basics of consistent posting and updating content can make a huge difference. It's not like you have to get a New York Times front page story right away. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I typically see improvements within the first couple of months, few months, really most, you know, for sure of impact. And then by the, the the end of the first year, we were up to 2%, I believe. And we've been as high as 10%. And we're around five right awesome. now. You know, it fluctuates vastly. So that's one of the things I learned being, you know, growing up in communications and PR is that you cannot look at one month and really tell much of a story. So you have to look at like an aggregate over time and really track it. I really have found it does correlate with the anecdotal evidence too, where I'll hear from salespeople, wow, you guys are really punching above your weight. I've heard of, you know, like, or, or an investor saying, yeah, somebody said that they, you know, had heard of stoplight and blah, blah, blah. And that stuff starts coming in and you're like yes that's exactly what we want yes
0: oh that's amazing I remember that with a previous company of mine we had a prospect come to us and say oh I thought that you were too big for us and you were I took that as such a win for marketing (laughs) that's what we're just when you're talking about punching above your weight like a if that was just a win, we ended up working with them anyway, we were not too big, but it was great that that was the perception as we were trying yeah, to move absolutely. upstream. Absolutely, You want to look like that. <laughs> and So with the share of voice, this is fascinating for me, um, knowing that it can fluctuate because if you're talking to the founder, the CEO, right? Mm-hmm. And they're seeing, they want to see constant improvement, mm-hmm. traffic going up into the right, conversion rate slowly lifting, right? All of these metrics that you're Isn't tracking me? on a regular basis going up. So when you see this fluctuation, it's great to know and comforting, I'm sure for many listeners, that there's going to be this range. So you want it to improve over time, but to accept that there's going to be a range that it fluctuates between.
1: Yeah, I think that that's like something that served me well in looking at all those other rates as well, because there's always going to be seasonality in business.
0: Yeah.
1: And there's going to be obviously signs that you need to pay attention to regarding the health of the business. And you can see those mount over time. But I definitely I tend I you know, in my team, we look week to week, we do a pretty thorough, like assessment of the key metrics on a week to week basis. And so like I wouldn't let things go like months, you know, But you can definitely have an appreciation that there are these cycles. And when you talk to executives, and I have found that is incredibly helpful because they do tend to, and by nature, they need to hone in on a key piece of critical information. They're going to try and find that one thing and you need to help them understand, like, let's caveat this like you know we have 60 metrics that I track on a monthly basis or actually weekly and then report on monthly that are indicators in all together right but you can't just cherry pick so trying to like bring that together in a comprehensive but not overwhelming way <laughs> has been kind yeah. of the biggest challenge that I've encountered especially if you don't have a fancy tool that like sort of synthesizes and does the whole story for you, which I haven't. So.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Same. Yeah. have to look through all the numbers, see which ones that need clarification and which are worth sharing, which are not. Right. So interesting. And you mentioned so connecting brand and demand and how they go hand in hand. That was way too rhymey. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It just just
1: happens. (laughs) But
0: how these go together, when you're talking about the consistency of posting and how you're able to see that 0.01 go to 10 eventually, and it lifted just within a couple of months' time. So seeing that, and now you got to the point where when your sales team is on calls, they hear, oh, we heard about you X, Y, Z, or you're punching above your weight. So those comments, you know, it's working. Mm-hmm. So how, what else is working? It seems like posting, I assume LinkedIn, but possibly elsewhere. Okay. What do you see working generally? You don't have to give specific, yeah, or your totally. secrets off,
1: but. I think one of the key points is, I mean, certainly there's a lot of different platforms. I mean, your website, most likely almost every business I would say today, that's your front door. So your owned media in that regard is like really a core focus. Beyond that, like, you've got to look at where your audience is, right? So we take advantage of the major social media platforms just by volume. I mean, that's clearly something you want to pay attention to, just who is reaching the most people. And then beyond that, where the niche areas that your um, particular audience is hanging out and what are they consuming there And, and how can you be a part of that conversation? And again, with limited resources, you have to be selective, right? LinkedIn I do love, but it can be expensive, right? So then we look at other places, maybe we're able to do more amplification on Facebook and we're able to look at a place that's very particular to our users around Reddit and and see some some really positive results there. But there's a combination of organic and paid, right? You can't have one without yeah. the other. And I definitely have become convert in that regard. like earning your sort of news value or your brand value with what people used to talk about the let's go viral you know this is like oh god right no one's going to by and large no brand is going to cut through and next thing you know be on like like front page or like on tv talking about their viral hit like that's just not going to happen yeah but you can bring people into the conversation and you can boost like things to the right folks in the right context mm-hmm. and amplify your message. And I just think that that's an essential part of the mix. So I would say looking for the right platforms that are you know not only the largest, but also the fit for your audience and then a combination of organic and boosted And the other thing I would just add too, because I know it comes up a lot with marketers, is there's going to be some reliance. I think you had a guest recently who talked about this, like both the internal contributions to content and bringing in sourced content and balancing that out so that your team is not overstrained, your internal folks aren't, your SMEs or subject matter experts aren't strained, and you have some distribution of of the spend from staff to vendors. So I like a little combo there. So true. And then you have a, you can test out what works and bring someone back in
0: if they if they were super successful. That, yeah, testing out. You, and this kind of brings back, there's a term, you've been talking about this already, but I want, if you could kind of define in your own words, the term performance branding, which you, you mentioned to me and I just love it. I've never heard that term before. So what is performance branding to you? And what have we already discussed that you would classify as that?
1: Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to pull up a definition that I I stole from somebody else. So I'll give her credit. No good marketing online. But like, I love the way they crystallize this, that performance branding is where creativity is rooted in data and performance is fueled by brand equity. So you get this, like, it's the flywheel, right? Like you can't have one without the other and i think any good creative will tell you that there and and studies show this you need to start with something right rarely do people just look at a white page and go oh my god i have the best idea right you're responding to something so data is just this beautiful way to start with that creative process and then the performance is going to build and the 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 data is going to be fueled by that resonance of the brand's message, right? Or the brand identity, you know, again, kind of the yin-yang thing, like it's got to go hand in hand. I think more executives are starting to understand that. And I think, like you said, there's a pendulum swing. I have still found, yeah. you know, folks that don't are really just like, oh, well, I just need someone who can like get the the pipeline filled, you know, and then convert at a high rate, right? Well, think yeah. about back in the day of SEO, right? We used to do all this rigging of technical like SEO optimization, but ultimately Google wisely and consumers, they vote by what's relevant, right? Like they pick what yeah. is actually meaningful. So if there's there's action without meaning, it's not useful. But <laughs> so that's kind of a long answer, but- together no no
0: that i mean the flywheel That yeah it it makes perfect sense and i love that definition did you say it was from no
1: good marketing yeah no good marketing agency 2021. cool
0: go ahead i can link to that in show notes
1: if you yeah yeah absolutely on the flip
0: side of this so these are all amazing examples of kind of what's working and how to get these two together and fueling each other is there anything that the past year or two you've seen just kind of die and that you're, you're done with and that, that is just not working anymore in this whole picture uh, that of brand and demand working together.
1: That's really interesting. I love that question. And I don't think that there's any one thing. I would say, I guess one of the things that I'm still on the fence. I want to see more data on it. But I do remember at one point, you you know, I could still get away with, like, inve- you know, you or anyone, you know, you, you wanted to have, a, like, a brand anthem video, like, some beautifully produced, yeah. like, big thing that told your, like, story. And I do think that in the day and age that we're in <laughs> with TikTok and, like, Instagram stories and whatever, people kind of yeah. get a little cringy at, like, high production value, like, yeah. softly muted, like, offices and whatever like I think that that's a little done and I would say not probably not worth the investment I'm sure there's other examples where like beauty or where hospitality like different things where you're really creating this whole vibe might work but for b2b I think that it's probably run its course at least you know or at least needs to be toned down quite a bit yeah
0: two things off of that. I wonder first if this is going to be another one of those pendulum things that comes back full circle, right? Where all of a sudden we're done with the raw, quick and dirty kind of video. Yeah. And and we want really polished, beautiful things again.
1: It'll be interesting and expensive if that comes back. Well, the other (laughs) thing that's kind of awesome though and I worked in entertainment for a long time is like the costs of production have really gone down with like the technology. So... It's honestly, you know, what used to cost you a hundred thousand dollars to make, yeah. you could probably do for five now, right? So cool. that's an exciting opportunity. And I love video. So I'm not at all yeah. like opposed to that. I just think that there's a real sophistication in today's viewing audience, particularly like the bulk of the buying audience now is probably millennials, right? And leaders, and increasingly if you're targeting business leaders and they have a little skepticism right like they're not just gonna buy some fancy video just for for what it's worth so i think that that's a part of it too yeah so true speaking of videos too and this
0: content really of all different levels because i've seen the the unpolished and the polished of this but i've seen more companies creating the media leg right of their brand and the marketing team has to become a media company, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Do you agree, and to what extent?
1: Yeah, so I got first exposed to that whole phenomenon actually when I was at Sony Pictures back in, like, early 2000s, or, you know, first decade, at least, of the 2000s. And I had the pleasure of meeting a guy who had kind of pioneered that stuff with, and and Beth Comstock at GE and and Alex Jutkowitz who has written a book about it, and I'm blanking on the name right now, but in any case, they were really the first to sort of, or at least, you know, they got noticed for this idea of creating a content hub that was targeting your user or your your audience in a way that replicated some kind of a, a content, like, a, a, you know, media play, yeah. but telling a, a more objective or more broader story. And I think, and it built, designed to build credibility and authority and loyalty. And I think that it it's done a lot of those things. I think it's really an essential part, as we talked about before, like the owned piece of your media, I believe it's not just about like product list and features and leadership, right? You've got to have a position. So thought leadership is really important in that realm. I don't think you necessarily have to create a separate site or like sort of try and keep something in the umbrella of of some kind of like adjacent, but not directly under you sort of entity. But I think that yeah. uh, bringing the thought leadership is important. And then I think that the thing I would just also, you know, mention and and I think is a, a challenging one for a lot of companies is, you know, when you're small and, and you're trying to get, be scrappy and get content together, There can be this phenomenon of just sort of taking some maybe questionable stuff and putting it out there. And I do think we are going to have to be increasingly conscientious of the quality and because consumers are already getting fatigued. And I hear increasingly people that don't even, you know, consume news articles anymore because they're just like, ah, too much, you know, and they're just going to like watch their for you or whatever. And I think that there is a danger in flooding the market with with things that aren't necessarily helpful. Although the third or the second caveat to that is that AI needs to be fed with information that is accurate or that keeps your brand in the dialogue. And so there is, I think, going to be a little bit of a race on volume. But I hope yeah. that with it, we also prioritize accuracy.
0: I've heard that a lot recently that there's because of this volume increase in content production and AI and everything, right? That and the quick and dirty not needing to be published, that now there's this circle back to needing to focus on on quality and make sure that it's not just turning, turning, turning out and not paying attention to those details. So yeah, that makes that makes yeah. perfect sense. There's one other thing, and I realized I did not get to dive into your career. So I do want to do that oh, right after okay. we, t- we touch on this, because uh, you mentioned a couple of previous company names. I was like, mm, we need to dive into that. So we'll get to that next, but first another sort of term that you may have coined this term, but maybe <laughs> you keep me honest is the conference effect. Oh. I saw you mentioned this on on LinkedIn and after attending a, a conference recently so I'm curious if you could tell our audience about absolutely. that
1: absolutely I'd love to so this actually is something I learned from uh Julia Borston who is an incredible uh, woman executive she's been at CNBC for years business reporter just phenomenal and she just wrote a book called win-win women lead and one of the and so I was at this women in tech conference and she was a guest and she was talking about this she's She's honed in on kind of these five different traits. Don't ask me to repeat the box. You won't remember. But anyway, one of them was that women have, she honed in on these things that give women some sort of like extra ability and like where are their strengths as leaders. And one of the things is about community and the, the ability to build community, the ability to navigate and like really master a community for their own benefit, but also for the benefit of others. And so I loved that idea and she had one stat and I I definitely, I have to read for the whole thing. So we should, I'll try and find it after we talk, but there was a stat that literally when women go to conferences, they are actually more likely to get a raise and promotion after. So there was literally this hateful (gasps) effect in business of women and I don't know if men were studied too. So I should like say that, but like for women, they experience this benefit, a tangible benefit. And I had a thought about that coming out of this event, and she referred to it as the conference effect, really referring more to this, like, increase in acknowledgement and actual earning potential. And for me, uh, I really started to think about how, you know, I've always been drawn to those types of activities. I rely on my network for, you know... Ideas, sanity, of course, jobs when you're looking or hiring when you're hiring and just creative ideas and keeping up. I mean, it's so important to me. And I feel like every time I go to an event, I get inspired about something else. And so the takeaway for me was like when you lean into your career and you lean into whatever it is you're doing. You're going to seek out things to add to the mix of what you do, regardless of whatever it is, right? And it doesn't have to be like that particular conference or that particular class, but just something that enriches your experience of the role and your ideation in that field. And so I think, and then also, very importantly, the literal connections that may turn into the next job, the next client, the next deal, the next key employee, whatever the case may be.
0: Yeah, this is fascinating to me because it it makes me think, well, a a couple of things again, I'm going to GTM 2023 pavilions event in a couple of weeks. So
1: yay,
0: (laughs) good timing. But it it brings me back, I had a conversation on on the show, one episode was with Jen Capstraw. Uh-huh. an email guru. Highly recommend you follow her, and everybody does. But she she spoke about something very similar where she, when she was down and out in between jobs, she decided she was going to invest in herself and go to this event. And she just is a big advocate of take like spend the money on yourself, even when you don't have it. Mm-hmm. Invest on yourself because it it gives you the confidence. You learn while you're there. You you build this community when you're at the event. And now this kind of comes full circle because you're saying that I need to read this book, um, that she, the impact is actually an increase in earning potential, too. So it actually is a legitimate event investment that brings return. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that hopefully more companies are, are supporting that as well. I always think it's so great when companies are, you know, are able to encourage their employees to get some additional experience and exposure out there so even if you know if you can't do it yourself and you you know are looking for your work to sponsor it you know maybe bring up the the potential benefits in terms of your engagement connection knowledge oh. all the things that you're going to bring to the table afterwards so true just you getting out there building that
0: community brings exposure for whatever company you're with at that time so it, it helps them exponentially too I love this. If you can give me the name of the book after, I'll be sure yeah, to link to that sure. in show notes yeah. too. This will be yeah. a good one for everyone. We're all about community here. Uh, so. Absolutely.
1: And Julie is amazing. So she definitely recommends following her too. Thank you. And then
0: to go back to the beginning, I'm curious. So you've mentioned a, a really interesting a journey and in career path so far in a couple little blips. Can you walk us through... How you came to being in b2b marketing and the, the fun journey you took to get here
1: yeah it was funny i reflected on that question because it's really to be specifically in b2b marketing that i think a lot of people today think of like SaaS or whatever that really didn't happen for me until 2017 18 right i mean i was doing a little bit of it but what I think really for me, I came out of college and I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, I thought maybe go back to grad school and I, you know, and and become a teacher, or, you know, a professor. But I fell into tech because I just started meeting people that were so incredible, and I had a chance to do a, a startup. And I think what happened for me is I saw really from the like tiny, you know, initiation of a business, a crystal of an idea how all the parts of the business and all the roles work together to build it. And so, like, I think the the key finding for me was business, thinking about business first and how businesses function was always really a central to my approach. And even though I ended up going through and, you know, I got into PR, I worked on Microsoft business at Wagner-Edstrom for a while, which is now WE, and learned some of the best practices as relates to product marketing and, and, you know, public relations and analyst relations and all these things, which was incredible. And then moved into entertainment for a long time. And, you know, you might think that was more B2C, but honestly, I was typically dealing with the corporate side, like, you know, our our reputation in the investment community, in the music industry and, you know, entertainment industry, lawsuits, like all the nitty gritty and I yeah. still really love that part. And so, you know, as it evolved and and nowadays where, you know, I think uh, yeah, everyone's kind of, you know, focused on that SaaS or like the the shift from enterprise to, you know, new ways of doing business positioned me well to have a little bit of that experience. And, yeah. and you know, now I, I sort of think more about it. But historically, it's just kind of been, OK, well, yeah. Business and then reaching other businesses really came naturally as part of it because I understand how they work and what they need. And there's some tactics to to reach them effectively amazing it's fascinating you're right when
0: you said sony right if yeah correct me if i'm wrong so that th- i do i hear that and i do think b2c but it's interesting because with every especially big companies but with every company there's so many layers and everything is so different to how things are structured there's just so many positions that you wouldn't even know exist this Is um, so it's interesting to hear the b2b side of, of things there too. yeah absolutely i'm curious throughout this career path what could you walk us through And if you don't have one, I won't put you on the spot too much, but let me know if you could walk us through one of your biggest hurdles, any point in your career and how you got through it.
1: Oh, man. I mean, the honest answer is really like my own burnout. You know, I reached a point where I had given all that I have to give emotionally, which and it turns out the lesson was like, you know, you can't get that invested. And so I also realized that I think the other big part of that, too, was bringing my voice to the table confidently and at times, like, needs to be unfiltered, right? You need to not feel like you have to, to like, I had a, you know, pattern of a, or at least a tendency towards, like, pleasing or mm. diplomacy, With authority, right? And then that doesn't really, really serve you when you have to help shape results. And if you have a strong feeling, and that's part of what I learned, like trust your gut. And if your gut, like that that means like both, if you need to take a break because you're burnt out or that day, you're just tired or your lack of creative juices, or you feel like you're going to be short with the person on your team because you've lost your patience. Step back. Right. Like no one's going to, you know, I mean, or at least hopefully not like hold you in your chair or whatever to have that conversation right then. And likewise, like if you see something that is wrong or could be done better or whatever it is, speak your mind. Right. People, leaders want to hear that. They want the and, and that's really been the outcome for me is not only more sanity in my career, my day to day, and like more time with my family, which, you know, I didn't, you know, I barely see my kids when they were tiny, and more sanity there, more pleasure, more happiness, and more impact, you know? I have CEOs that say, oh my God, thank you. Like, no one's telling us that, or, you know, how can you help me figure this out? And you become a more strategic partner because you're not holding Do you feel like it's also
0: stepping out of your lane a bit? Like if, cause if you're giving that candid feedback or you notice something that's not necessarily under marketing's umbrella, right? Bring it, being able to feel confident speaking to that in an appropriate manner too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point and nuance of things. And I think my hope is, and I usually, I, I try to employ like a, a peer, you know, sort of engagement strategy before there's some kind of like, hell right like i don't i i think that yeah. there's there's nothing good to come from blame right and like i've seen so many companies waste so much time and energy trying to point fingers and the reality yes. is all of us have just got to work together and so anyway i would just be careful about like yes if you see things like bring it to the person who, who is in charge, who can make a difference first. Yeah. And then, I mean, if you really hit a wall or if it's something that's much bigger or even the CEO's direct responsibility, then, of course, like, go there. But I think always be a good colleague first. Yes.
0: So true. It's you're, you're brought up, hopefully, right, saying be a good person and you want to be a good person, kind of extending that. I love the, the term be a good colleague because you you always want to help each other out you're not trying to or we shouldn't be trying to throw somebody under the bus or point fingers definitely no blame game that doesn't help anybody it just keeps everyone down so if you have good intentions sometimes they don't always pan out but if you have good intentions and you're you're trying to help if you go directly to that person who's owning a piece and you bring it to light in a positive manner and hope that they would do the same for you. Right. Mm-hmm. They notice something on the marketing world that, I mean, we always get ideas from everybody. Right. Yeah. Like, I have a great marketing idea, but um, yeah, you want that mutual respect for everyone on your team.
1: Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to the quote that I found for the, you know, and the conference effect, like I, I sort of felt like this curiosity and reciprocity really summarized the key like benefits of your network and that means your network in the company and out. Like come to things with a curious mind and a, a disposition towards generosity, right? How can you help each other? I love that. Well thank you.
0: This this is amazing. I'm curious as one kind of quick quick sign off. Let's see, which one should we go to? I think what what is a a tip? that you have either for your younger self, just starting out or for a fellow listener, another marketer in B2B marketing.
1: I mean, I think it's really like, don't let go of your curiosity, right? Like be curious because you, I mean, as it's easier when you're younger, maybe because you feel like, okay, I don't know things, but stay curious, right? Like it's gonna help you do everything better. And it's not just at work. It's like all the things in life that are then, that then contribute to who you, who the self you bring to work and the success of your business.
0: Yes, stay curious. There's always so much more to learn, especially in marketing where it changes every day. It yeah. Seems, so.
1: Right? Can you imagine yes. if you weren't and like all these changes pummeling you every day? I know. I mean, I
0: this is that's what I love. One thing I love about marketing is that it's never the same, right? Yep. It's never from day to day, your agenda and what you're focused on is always changing. It's never boring <laughs> well thank you Anne, so much this thank has you. been so enlightening i definitely have a couple things to read and look up afterwards to to dive more into because i love so much about this the conference effect and performance branding cool um, so for anybody who wants to follow up and connect with you where's the best place to to reach you linkedin is great perfect i'll put your your linkedin in show yeah. notes but yeah. and boy you can search her. i
1: think is on linkedin but in any case yeah <laughs>
0: Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So we'll, we'll link. So thank you for joining us and thank you everybody for listening. We'll, we'll see you next time.
1: Take care. Thank you.